Man, it's good to see you here today. Uh, it's great to, um, it's a good church to be a part of. Thankful for all those watching online. Could you give it up for our online family this morning? We're a Mountaineer Recovery Center and uh, Fort Dietrich Fire Department tuning in this morning in Berkeley Springs. We are excited uh, to be with you today. Our campus in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Make some noise up there in Berkeley Springs. Yep. We're starting a new series. Uh, in case you didn't realize it, Easter's around the bend. Easter's, um, for the church, Easter's kind of it. You know what I mean? Like Christmas is awesome. God, Emmanuel, God with us. But Easter is the thing that separates Jesus from everyone else. Easter is the thing that makes him different from everyone else that claim to be God. Easter. And so um, we encourage you to invite some people to Easter. I don't know, bribe them, tell them you'll take them to lunch or something. Just tell them. Give them $50, whatever whatever you have to do. Tell them, tell them the church will give them a free t-shirt. I didn't get permission to do that, so. We're starting a new series today called Same Yesterday, Today, and Forever. We're going to lead up to Easter with that. And um, we're going to get into the idea that God doesn't change. And hopefully by the end of our little bit of time here together, you'll be more convinced of it. If you aren't convinced of it yet, you'll be convinced, hopefully. We're going to read a story that I've preached from several times. And it's, and it's one of my favorite things. So if you have a little doubt this morning, lean in, it's fine. We're going to be okay, all right? If you walked in here questioning something, it's fine. God's bigger than your questions. Amen. Why don't you stand one more time for honor of the reading of the word and I'll let you sit down for the rest of the time together. We're going to read from John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. We'll read through 29. Now this is after the resurrection of Jesus. So I know we're starting kind of backwards here. We're supposed to be leading up to Easter, but we're starting off after Easter. So just hopefully it'll make sense here in a second. It's like a good movie when it starts off where it ends and then they switch back on you and you're like, oh. John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, say amen if you're ready. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I will never believe eight days later his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them although the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and, and said peace be with you 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Father, we thank you today that you're unchanging. We thank you today, Lord, that your love is always perfect. Your grace is always perfect. Your, Your forgiveness for us is always perfect. Lord, remind us again today, maybe some people here are learning for the first time that you love them with an everlasting love and that never changes. Draw us a little closer to you today. Change us again. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. We're starting after the resurrection to talk about something that is important for us leading up to the resurrection. Now, you have to remember the mentality of the disciples in this story, Jesus, they had followed Jesus for three years. They'd watched him do unbelievable miracles. They'd watched him, they'd watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. They'd watched him heal the sick. They'd watched him feed 5,000. They'd watched him do unbelievable things. They'd watched him do things that no human being on the planet had ever done before. They'd watched him They'd watched him lead them and teach them. When they walked down the road, he'd talk about sowing seed and, and, he'd, and he'd link it in a way that blew all their minds. They also had watched him beat beyond recognition. They'd watched him beat to the point that nobody could recognize him. They watched him drag his own cross. They'd watched him hung on that cross, crucified. And now the first day of the week, the resurrection day, They have locked themselves in the room for fear of the Jews. They are scared to death beyond the capability to walk outside, beyond the capability to handle real conversations, not wanting to bump into people. They had isolated themselves for fear of the same people who had crucified Jesus. If you're hanging out with the guy that got punished for being who he was, common sense would tell you you're probably next on the list. There's going to be a raid on the house not too long. We're going to lock the doors for fear of the Jews. The remarkable part is Jesus has resurrected at this point in time. The Bible says that he walks through the locked door. Aren't you glad there's no criminals can do that? He walks through the locked door into the presence of the disciples. And the first thing he says is, hey, chill out. Peace be with you. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. And he encourages them and he exhorts them and, and they're injected with a, with some courage and well, we think they are. The problem was one of the disciples, a guy named Thomas wasn't there. And, uh, for, for 2000 years, Thomas has got a bad rap. Uh, if you've been coming here any length of time, you've heard me talk about that. I don't call him doubting Thomas. I think that's unfair. I call him touching Thomas. And then now with recent events, I don't think that's a good idea either. (laughs) 
I didn't say touchy-feely Thomas. I said touchy Thomas. Touching Thomas. Because Thomas... Thomas wanted an investigation a little more. Thomas uh, wasn't easily convinced. Some of you walking in here this morning aren't people who are easily convinced about everything. That's good. You're not a sucker. You want a little bit more proof before you start to just follow it, whatever it is. You're not going to just rub the latest thing on your skin. You're going to check it out a little bit. So Thomas walks into the room after Jesus has appeared and the disciples are jacked to tell him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He says, okay. He says, well, I'm going to need a little more proof than that, than just you guys telling me that you've seen the Lord. He said, I want, um, unless I touch him, unless I put my fingers where the nail holes were, unless I put my hands where they run the spear in his side, I'm not believing this. First of all, the guy that we followed for three years hung on a cross and breathed his last breath and we looked at the tomb they put him in. And now you're telling me, now you're telling me he's up walking around having a conversation with you guys, didn't even unlock the door. Thomas said, I'm going to lead a little more proof than that. And so he, he kind of lays out his case for what kind of proof he's going to need to, to walk through this trial. If, if I'm going to believe, if I'm going to sit on this jury and believe what you're telling me, then this is the proof that you're going to have to bring me. And so the Bible says eight days later, uh, that, that Jesus walked through the locked door again. How many of you know experiences change us? Experience changes us. Now, it's the same for good experiences as it is bad experiences. It has the equal opportunity to change you. And you're not who you are just because you're who you are. You're who you are as a, as a result of a culmination of experiences in your life. Where you were born. The state that you lived in. The, the city you lived in. The parents you had. The siblings that you had. The, where, where you got your first job. Your, your first love. Everybody remember getting dumped that one time? Yeah. You were like, I ain't doing this again. Experience always changes us. It always has the ability to impact us in a way that makes us different people than before we walked through it. I would venture to say all of us are different today than we were in 2019. Amen. I would venture to say that unless you were a drywall finisher, you never bought a mask in 2019. You weren't, you weren't running around getting ready to go into a restaurant going, ah, oh, man, I forgot my drywall dust mask. Didn't happen. Now it's what everybody thinks about. Now, hopefully we're thinking about not having to think about it. But we all, through this last year, were changed. We were changed because maybe a loved one passed away. We were changed because maybe you started working from home and you realized, you realized what your kids were actually like during the day. (laughs) 
Maybe your kids started working from home and you realize what your grandkids were like during the day. It changes us. Everything changes us. I, I remember, um, I remember a significant event in my life that changed me. I was, I don't know, I was maybe a sophomore in high school. I had this friend who, um, who had a 68 Camaro. Yeah. And I think the fastest I'd ever been up to that point is probably a hundred miles an hour. I had an Escort L was my first car and that did not stand for luxury. That stand for limited accessories, a turn signal and a horn. So you couldn't even drive the thing on the interstate. And that's back when the speed limit, I think, was still 55, maybe. I don't even know if they'd raise it yet. So I remember being with my friend. He had a 68 Camaro. He was, a, he was a, a year or two older than me. And his dad had built this car for him, which being a parent now was like, what? And it had a race engine in it. It had a whole Muncie four-speed. I mean, it was fast, like shockingly fast. So I remember going to Winchester with him one time. And we were coming back from our trip to the Winchester Mall. Remember when you used to go to a mall? And that was cool. So I went to the Winchester Mall. We're coming back on ID1. And there was this little Japanese car that sounded like it had already tapped out. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> so he's coming up behind, beside us. And it's like, Rrrr! and there are these other teenagers in it. And they're like, hey. and this car had an awesome paint job. It was, it was amazing. And so we're in there. We're feeling, I mean, we just ate a bowl full of guts. So, um, so, so we look over at them and they're trying, they're egging us on. And you know what I'm saying? I'm like, give it to them. You know what I mean? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, um, so, so, uh, he kind of, he kind of just pops the gas a little bit and we jump up in front of him and then he puts his hand out the window and goes like this. And I'm like, oh, we're getting ready to set him up. And so that guy hits his little Japanese car. And he's, I don't know, he's going 80. And he kind of semi goes by us kind of fast. And my, and my friend, the kids now say, give it the beans. And he did. And have you ever went so fast that you thought, I might not survive this. And we're just flying down the interstate. And I felt euphoric. I was like, whoa. And so he lets off the gas and I looked over. He goes, what's the fastest you ever been? And I said, I don't know, like 110. Maybe he goes, you were a lot faster than that today. And so we were going like, I don't know, 145 down the interstate. It was crazy. The speedometer was like all the way down. That changed me changed me. Like, so if you go out, my truck right now is a big F-250 diesel. I changed that thing. It is fast. <laughs> my wife will tell you, I, can, I can't stand driving a stock vehicle. It's just something in me happened at 10th grade that when I get in a vehicle and the accelerator doesn't respond, I'm like, we got to do something. We got to buy some parts, put it on this thing, get a tuner, whatever we got to do. But if we're going to drive this thing any length of time, when I give it the beans, 
changed me. It did. Now I'm 40, almost 45 years old. I can't get caught going fast. That'd be embarrassing. So you got to strategize how you do this, guys. I mean, you can't just. Some of you have had experiences that changed you for a lifetime. That didn't put a smile on your face. Some of you have had joyous experiences that you'll never forget. But the fact of the matter is every experience we have changes us a little bit. 2020 changed us a lot. Changed what we worried about, changed how we interacted with each other. Just, it was just a year of drastic change. You know, it's built into us to change. Once sin entered into the world, the idea of not changing was thrown out the window. So nobody is constant. No one is constant on the planet. Everybody is changing from day to day, from hour to hour. We are all getting older. We're all moving quicker to the place uh, of our last breath. We're all changing. Our bodies are changing. Once, once sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, then the change process was, was, was just a constant thing that was happening in our lives. I'm not the same person I was when I was 20. I'm not the same person I was when I was 30. I'm not the same person I was last year. It's a, it's a factor that we all deal with and we just change and we change and we change just built into who we are and how we operate. And so it's just, it's part of the expectation. Anybody have ever went to a, a high school reunion after 30 years? What's the first thing you say? You either have two responses. You haven't changed a lick or life has not been good to you. <laughs> Amen? You haven't changed a bit. Changes is part of nature. It's part of what happens. Paul talked about how experiences change us. Romans chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 2, it says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What are sufferings? They're experiences we're having. They're not good experiences. But Paul says those not good experiences can change us if we allow them because knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul's saying, listen, it, even bad experiences could change us for the good. Amen? I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. And um, we were talking, like, this idea, which I'll probably preach a sermon on it at some point in time. This idea that uh, it was a butter knife. We were at a restaurant, it was a butter knife. Anybody ever remember back when you could stick a butter knife in the outlets? I remember that. Now they got them all locked up with that protective thing. I'm like, we got a whole generation of kids that don't have any idea what that feels like. I didn't think that was a bad experience. I thought that was a learning experience. Now when I work on electrical stuff, I'm like, hey, I know how that feels. It's like four years old, bang. And I held up the knife and I said, the thing that hurts you in your past is now useful to you in your present. Because now I know not to stick the butter knife in the outlet. Now I know 
to use it to put a whole lot of butter on my toast. So Paul says that thing that hurt you in the past, that experience isn't worthless. That experience can change you actually for the better. Because suffering will produce perseverance and perseverance character in your life and character can produce hope. So experiences change us, but not all experiences change us the same way. We have to allow them to change us in the way that God designed them. Second Corinthians chapter five, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in, anyone is in Christ, he is a, say that your experience with Jesus, you're, you're coming to Christ and him becoming the Lord of your life and forgiving you of your sins. Paul actually tells the Corinthian church that has changed you. That experience changed you and made you actually a different person. It says the experience of being renewed in Christ has changed everything. Old things are passed away. What's it say? All things are new. Our experiences just change us. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of them wrapped up together, they change us. If we look at the disciples, every single one of them was different. There's no record of them locking doors before Jesus was crucified. There's no record of them hiding before Jesus was crucified. There's no record of them running around scared before Jesus. Actually, the the night Jesus was arrested, Peter was trying to cut a guy's head off. You have to go back and read it. That sounds crazy, but they were going to arrest Jesus and Peter started swinging a sword. He was being aggressive, not locking himself in a room. But the experience of the crucifixion changed them. They were not the same men. They watched him die. All their hopes and dreams had been yanked out from under them. And now they're in a room with the, do- with the doors locked, not going out. They were different. Jesus comes into the conversation, walks through a locked door. And his whole message to them was, I haven't changed. Here's the crazy part. Watch this. As much as you change, God, 180 degrees the opposite way, never changes. So, so watch this as much as you change every day, biologically, chemically, everything about you is changing day after day after day. Your attitude is hopefully changing. Your attitude is changing your, your, what you do, how you do it. Everything is this constant change. It's just, just part of who we are. The exact opposite is true of God. The exact opposite is true of God. So how, how this This constant change is typical to us. It is atypical to God. It's it's not even in his vocabulary to talk about change. It's not, it's not part of who he is. It's not, it's not even in his mentality to think about changing. The Bible says that he never, literally never has changed. Never, not figuratively, not, not physically. He doesn't change. James, James 1. Verses 16 and 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. said, there's no variation to God. There's no like God in a good mood, God in a bad mood. He's God. 
Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever. How long is that? It's pretty much always, ever, forever. By the way, if the Bible says forever, that's what it means. It's not like, well, how, how long forever? Like forever next week? He never changes. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I love that verse. If you thought you were going to be consumed, take heart. God doesn't change. Oh, I know that's so hard for us to understand. Because if I get mad, I, I have the capability. If God gets mad, you don't have to worry about being consumed. Because he doesn't change. He doesn't change. He said, don't worry about being consumed because I don't ever change. I'm the same all the time. So, so here's, the, here's the deal. The experience that changes you never changes God. Never. So Jesus didn't walk back in the room. <laughs> Jesus didn't walk back in the room and go, dude, I just raised from the dead. This was crazy. I never dreamed. He wasn't shocked by it. When he meets the women at the tomb, he's not like, can you believe this? This is nuts. Never thought I'd be raised from the dead. I mean, the father and I talked about it a couple times, but I thought, really? Didn't change him. Wasn't shocked. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't different than the last time they had talked to him. Come on. He walks into the room and he's the same Jesus. He's not saying anything different. He's not being different. He's not looking. He's the same Jesus. So the experience that changed the disciples didn't change God. So that's the truth in all of our lives. The experience that changes us never changes him. He never changes. He, God has never had an experience that he went, oh, I'm totally different after that. It's always the same. He is, he is as fair as you could ever possibly be all the time. He's as merciful as you could ever possibly be all the time. He's as loving as anyone could ever possibly be. And beyond that, all the time. And that is so weird for us to think about because experiences change how much I love people. Oh, I just said that out loud, didn't I? I forgot I was a pastor for a second. Experiences change how angry I get. Experiences change everything about me. Experiences change how often I get angry and the, and the veracity with which I get angry. Amen? You'll leave me up here like you don't sin. Experience changes all that. But the Bible says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Why? Because he loves equally and fully all the time. And no experience that you go through ever, ever, ever changes that. That's why it's so hard for us to conceive. Because there's nobody else on the planet ever operates like that. So we have no reference point for God not changing. Because everything around us changes. But he doesn't. He's always the same. Always the same. Jesus was not overwhelmed by his res resurrection. 
He wasn't like a person experiencing something for the first time who can't wait to inform his friends. He's showing up to show that he's never changed. Jesus was spending his post-resurrection time proving to all his followers that he indeed had not changed. He was going back to the disciples saying, I'm the same one. Look at him. The same guy. Look at it. I'm the same guy. Hadn't changed. What I told you before the resurrection is the same thing I'll say after the resurrection. Come on, how many of you have gotten conversations and something happened? You said, this changes everything. Not Jesus. I'm the same. I'm the same. Look at it. What I told you before is the same thing I'm going to tell you now. There is no change. There's no variation in me. It's the same. I'm not coming up with this on the fly. I'm not coming up with this and have some experience that's going to change the way I feel about something. Come on, how many of you have been raising kids long enough to know you told them one thing when you were 25, and now that you're 40, you're like, hey, forget the 25-year-old thing I told you. (laughs) Yeah, that was dumb. Why is that? Because experience has changed us. God never tells you something when you're 25, only to find out that God matured a little bit more over the last 20 years, and then he tells you something different. It's the same. Over and over and over again, he never changes. So here's here's the kicker. The thing in your life, the experience in your life that is going to change you will prove that God hasn't. I, I need you to follow me on this. The thing in your life that is happening right now that could change you is is and can be evidence that he hasn't. He hasn't. Whatever you're walking through right now that you're afraid of, whatever you're walking through right now that you're unsure of, whatever you're walking through right now that you're like, this is going to change things. You can always lay your head down at night and say, even if it changes me, it cannot change him. It's impossible. He can't do it. He's not freaked out. He's not worried. He's not upset. he's 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 not looking around at the angels going, I don't know if I can fix this one. I started having kids when I was 22 years old. By the way, that's too young for all you young people in there. My oldest daughter is 22. That's too young. 22 years old, I started thinking about this. I always wanted my kids to follow me. Anybody else? I didn't want to say everything I said sometimes, but there was an innate desire in me to have them grow up and be like me. Now that I've got a little more age on me, I realized what kind of sick game I played with them. Because I'm changing. The one that's asking them to follow is changing. Think about it. Like if you have young kids right now, in the next 15 years, you won't be the same person you are today, but you're asking them to follow you. That's a sick trick, isn't it? And I I think that's why, I think that's why babies can't really talk or comprehend a lot. Because if they could, we would have all been in trouble. 
because I'd have been like 22 years old trying to give my kids advice when I was needing a ton of advice myself. Anybody been there? That'd have been like, hey, listen, this is the way you do this. When your buddies call up, want to go hunting, you just go. You only got one kid. Can't be too much for her to take care of. I just saw a bunch of the guys that say that go like this. At almost 45, those words would never enter my vocabulary. But boy, I thought them when I was 22. So I asked my kids to follow me, but I keep changing. I keep changing. I keep changing. I keep changing. And one day they think they got it down and dad changes again. One day they think they got, one day they think it's all right to get angry over stuff. Dad changes. Well, dad lost his stuff the other day over that. Yeah, but your dad's getting better. And then, and then it changed again. And then it changed again. And then it changed again. So the only constant thing that they see is me being different. That's all that I'm, what I'm telling them is the only constant of their life is I'm not going to be the same. That's it. But listen to me about this. When God asks us to follow him, come on, you should be following me a little quicker than that. When God asks us to follow him, he makes us this promise. I will never change on you. I'm not going to do the bait and switch like there's, well, I was following the young God and then he grew up into the wise God and now I don't know what's happening. No, no, no. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. You follow me and here's the guarantee I'll make you. In the worst circumstance of your life, you won't have to think about that and me changing. You'll be able to think about, okay, this is bad, but the one who called me to follow him said he will never change. So in the worst circumstance that I could ever be in, that is causing great change in my life. I can look up right now and go, hey, you know what? At least I got this going for me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's nothing that can separate me from him. God is not playing bait and switch with you this morning. He's not playing games with you this morning. So that's why this happened. When he walked into the room, when Thomas was there, he was the same as before he was crucified. And the only, the thing he walked into Thomas and he said was this, peace be with you. Now watch, stand to your feet. We're going to end with this. Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, listen, there is a peace that transcends all of your understanding here. There's a peace that transcends your ability to understand what is actually going on. There's peace that comes from God in every circumstance. I'll read it to you. In every circumstance. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the what? And the peace of God, which what? surpasses all of your understanding will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. Here's what God is saying. In every single experience that will change you, you can depend on the one who never changes to bring peace into that thing. And it will never make any sense to you or anyone around you because everyone around you is expecting change. But when you grab a hold of the one that never does, it never makes sense. Amen? So when Jesus walks into that room that day to 
show Thomas that he hadn't changed, the first thing he said to him was this, don't be afraid. Peace I bring to you. I have not changed. I'm the same yesterday, today, and 